This startup story has us right in the middle of another one. The rise and fall of that story is actually the previous podcast episode, and I strongly recommend listening to that one first. The too long, didn't watch summary is, I quit my job at a Fortune 100 company to make my weekend travel web app my full-time job, the purpose of which was to make travel planning easier, and I thought my proposed solution beat the dominant player in the market. Everything didn't quite go to plan, and I struggled to gain traction. To salvage the product, I went to Reddit's r slash co-founder to find co-founders. I didn't find co-founders for my startup, but I found myself joining someone else's travel startup. That decision started a year-long journey with multiple interesting characters and moments. So strap in, because this is going to be a bit all over the place. Identity complex. Let's start with the post I saw from r slash co-founder that convinced me to join. This is word for word what the post said. I'm a tech founder of a travel startup app. I'm looking for one to three new founders to join the team. A full stack engineer with experience in JavaScript, React, Node. Someone with experience in UI UX. And someone with Android experience. I'm looking for an actual co-founder. Someone who wants to do something great and try to disrupt the travel industry with me. I'm building the iOS app. I've been doing iOS for about five years now. I'm looking for someone who is serious about building something great and making some magic happen. I'm very open to good amount of equity based on what skills you bring to the table. I do not like working alone on big projects. I want a good founding team to make this happen. Notes about me. I have three successful exits under my belt. I have been doing iOS Swift development for five years now. I'm very motivated and very hardworking. We're very close to being funded. Hit me up if you're interested to learn more, and please send examples of your work. Thanks. I reached out of curiosity. I didn't have a co-founder. He wanted to create a product in an industry I was already diving into, and he had previous startup experience. Three successful exits sounded very intriguing to me. We got on a call where he had a polished pitch deck, a logo, brand, marketing strategy, and iOS screen designs that looked like they were made by an actual designer. He also told me he'd raised millions of dollars before from investors, so it would be pretty easy this time around. In addition, marketing would be no big deal since he had about 500k Instagram followers, a mailing list of 20k from a previous startup, and connections to quite a few big social media influencers. All this was very appealing to me, and in the back of my head I thought, worst case scenario I could learn a bunch from this guy and apply it to my startup. At the end of the meeting he told me that he was looking for an equal founder, and for me to think about it, and get back to him later. He'd also send me some resources we talked about so I can review at my own leisure. All of these things were very positive points, and so I began my internet sleuthing to figure out who this guy actually was. Well, I'll let him introduce himself. This audio is from a video titled, Andrew Fashion Demo Reel 2013 Cringy. To his defense, it was many years ago and he knows it's cringy. I'm sure I even have podcast episodes that are way cringier than this. My name is Andrew Thompson. I'm an entrepreneur living in Los Angeles, California. Being an entrepreneur can mean many things, but to me, it means creating something, building something. I haven't always lived in the city of angels. I grew up in a small town in Colorado. We didn't have much, but I saved up enough money and bought myself my first computer at age 11. I was instantly hooked. I stayed up all night making websites, programming, learning code. Sometimes, it's the biggest risks in life that pay off the most. And it was not easy in the beginning. A 
lot of hard work and a little luck brought me my first million dollars when I was only 19 years old. A company that made wallpapers and stuff for MySpace back when it was cool. At 21, I was making millions of dollars. Featured in news publications around the world and had my stories published in books. Then, I lost it all. And that's why I never take anything for granted. After a few years of reevaluating my life and making some huge lifestyle changes, I moved back to LA to follow my real dreams. I want to inspire people and be the best person I can be. I'd like to continue creating innovative technology for the world and launching new companies. In the future, I'd like to be developing real estate, skyscrapers, hotels, start a charity to help people around the world. I want to travel the world. Most importantly, I want to inspire young people to do great things. I love motivating people to become successful. And I hope some part of my journey so far has inspired you. Hope to see you on the next chapter of my journey. Sincerely, Andrew Thompson. That video probably should have scared me from continuing. But for some reason, it made me feel even more interested to see where this is going. It felt like I was watching a reality TV show that I couldn't keep my eyes from watching. Next, I found his social handles and validated his Instagram followers. Quite a few of them were questionable, but it did show the 500k number. Then I found his blog, which detailed his previous startup ventures and how he gained and lost millions of dollars. He'd mentioned in our call together how his venture right before this was featured on Planet of the Apps and had a celebrity endorsement. They had tons of signups, but technically the app was not sound, so it continued to crash and never recovered. His golden opportunity became a flash in the pan. He had the users and the investment funding, but even still, the company crumbled along with his co-founder partnership. He attributed the relationship severing due to greed over equity. The initial equity arrangements were to be renegotiated, and they couldn't come to term on numbers. This renegotiation disaster was the inspiration behind his equal equity offer. He wanted everyone to be equally invested in the idea and didn't want to appear selfish. From my research and conversations with him, I was mostly wary of his technical ability. He was a self-taught programmer who never worked in a traditional software company. His iOS experience was the result of a boot camp where he met his previous co-founder at. His previous startup failed mainly due to technical flaws that were so bad they were unrecoverable. Finally, after looking through his resources and checking their dates, Many originated from a year prior, which suggested to me that he'd been setting on this idea for a while, and maybe could not fully execute on the idea because he didn't have the ability to produce it. If I were to do business with him, I would therefore accept it based on the marketing and sales ability, and whatever programming ability he may show would simply be a bonus. He would work on the iOS, and I would work on the web and backend. Given the scope of his vision, I felt it only seemed viable with another technical co-founder, and so I made that my stipulation to join. Within a few days, he found that person and had signed a co-founder's contract with them. We'd use a platform that I'd never heard before, called Gust. It allows you to quickly and cheaply create a legal structure for startups preferred by investors. It generates standard legal documents for all the stakeholders like non-competes, equity granting, intellectual property agreements, etc. You can grant stock to people either through sale or for founders through a standard vesting period. Plus, when you finally pitch to investors, you can send them your cap table and they can see exactly how the equity is split up. After some negotiation, we agreed to have the same number of shares by the end of the year, which was about six months. We wouldn't all own a third of the company because some equity was already reserved for some investors from his previous startup that failed. 
He did so because he felt bad and he said that if he kept them happy, they might invest new money in this new company. Another person had small equity and they were responsible for getting our name out there to the investor community. There was also a designer, Marson, who would produce wireframes periodically, and a copywriter, Shag, who worked on all things content. Before I signed, I did get a chance to meet the third co-founder, who was called Rom. Even though I told Andrew to find another co-founder, I was a bit blindsided that they both came to an agreement before I signed. I would have preferred to be a part of the vetting process for him because I did find some red flags when I learned about his situation. He was a graduate student at Georgia Tech and already had a full-time programming job. I also didn't know much about his Android experience because nothing from his resume highlighted that at all. And from the conversations I had with him, I got the impression that he was more of a hobby developer in that regard. Despite these red flags, I decided to accept the partnership precisely because I was thinking about how much I could learn from this whole situation. At least in the worst possible situation, I could watch this roller coaster while supporting my other business. In the best case scenario, we would make something great. Whoa. Gypsy. What were me, Andrew, and Rom building? Well, the app is called Gypsy. It's a subscription travel service where you pay a monthly fee and you get up to three trips a year to a curated list of locations. You can basically book a trip in five minutes and it makes group trips a breeze. We also provide an itinerary that we work with you on building so you don't really have to worry about any of the details. As far as our roles, we each have ownership over our independent domains. Andrew was iOS, Rom was Android, and I was mobile web. Backend functionality would be a shared responsibility, and for that we settled on Firebase. Initially, I was a bit wary because my experience was in AWS, and felt that relearning a platform would be time better suited building an app. However, their excitement and confidence in it gave me enough reason to jump on board and use this as an excuse to vet the product. In retrospect, Firebase was the best decision, and if I was going to start a project from scratch, I would choose it every time. I could talk forever about my positive experiences with Firebase, and how it felt like magic compared to AppSync. Why did we decide to launch on three platforms at once? Our idea was to capture the biggest possible market so that we could be accessible by the most amount of people. For a long time, working independently allowed us to have the flexibility to just get the job done. Personally, I liked that I didn't have to consult anyone and worry about code standards shifting. I could therefore establish my own quality gates and make sure things were done correctly and not just hastily formed. The issue with this strategy is that the platforms are inherently tied together. You can't have a user open their trip on the iOS app and have a completely different experience on the website. We were an asynchronous remote team and it became pretty common for people to represent the data in completely different ways. We did need to build controls for consistency at some point, but it's important hasn't been fully recognized by all the members. From the start, we believe what the user saw was the most important aspect of the product. They need to see the product and trust to put their hard earned dollars into our service. For the visual aspect, we immediately worked on the mockups Marson made a year ago. The problem for me was that many of them were made for iOS and Android, which didn't have one-to-one -one translations for mobile web. After some deliberation, I made some ad hoc tweaks where it made sense. So we went off to developing. To keep track of our tasks, we put them in Trello, noting what part of the application we were working on, what we were planned to work on, and what we already had done. Once a week, we'd get together and talk formally even though we messaged daily through Slack. We even had some proper Gypsy email addresses via Gmail. A lot of the applications were all being developed at different speeds. When I transitioned to Gypsy full-time, I took on more back-end responsibilities like defining the data structure and other shared services. Rom struggled to juggle work, school, and Gypsy for the first few months and assured us that he had more availability once he graduated. Andrew was full-time on Gypsy, but not all of it was development. Every once in a while, I'd hear about him pitching to investors or taking people out to dinner. 
A few times, he even mentioned that they were excited and strongly thinking about investing. Andrew would follow that up with, It's nothing until we actually have money in the pocket. My expectations were tempered from that, and the fact that we were making a travel startup in the middle of a pandemic. The travel industry at the time was hemorrhaging cash and suffering. A startup plus travel at the time was something any reasonable investor wouldn't want to touch with a 10-foot pole. Early on, Andrew felt it was important to meet his fellow co-founders in person. Before I knew it, he had already booked a hotel and flight to downtown DC. For a week, I made the trek from Northern Virginia suburbs into the city to talk and code side by side. We got a few chances to talk and relax too. On the last night he was in town, something bad happened to Andrew. How he explained it to me was that late in the night, he went to a subway to get a sandwich. He met two guys in line, also ordering, and was surprised how rude the subway employees were to the men. He got chatting with them and found out they were good-natured, but homeless. They started hanging out for a little bit, and Andrew thought since it was his last day in the city, that it wouldn't be a big deal to offer them his extra bed in his hotel room. From there, he said at some point in the night he fell asleep. And in his words, he believes that they drugged him because when he woke up, he had a massive headache and all of his valuable possessions were stolen from him. The whole story was very surprising to me. I felt bad about his experience since it was in my neck of the woods. That story and experience marked my first face-to-face -face impression of Andrew. After he went back home, it became business as usual once he replaced his laptop. We were still three engineers fueled by more passion and excitement than proper judgment. For me and Andrew, a lot of the bottlenecks began to show up on the design side as we began to rethink our approaches. Marcin was an infrequent contributor, so Andrew began searching for alternatives. Ram had a buddy back in India named Abi, who was excited and eager to break into the designer field. Luckily for us, he was squarely in the range of affordability. The volume of new designs blasted away at the bottleneck. Him and Andrew were in daily design meetings. The things they produced didn't stop at the site either. They worked on redesigning some pitch decks, partnership pitches, social media posts, etc. To boost our Google page rank, Shag produced generic travel articles that all backlinked to our homepage. This group setup held us on the path to our objective of a Jan first launch. The only thing that changed from Gypsy's perspective was that although a B was responsive and abundant with his designs, Marson had more of a defined visual design language. Our strategy was to pair Marson's more infrequent designs to be the vision that our B would fill in with in-betweens. From a development perspective, we still had a mismatch in output. I had taken full ownership of the web and the services. Andrew had iOS and business, and Rom had Android. Andrew and I could afford to dedicate more time to Gypsy than Rom, so it became difficult to have clear timelines when things would be brought to parity. This began a series of conversations throughout the development on the level of commitment and equity. I personally found myself too far ahead with Gypsy, especially once I reduced my work on Voimos. In addition, my personal expenses increased, and if I didn't want to dip into my savings, I needed an income. Therefore, I did the one thing I wouldn't have expected myself to do, and it was to look for a job. After interviewing and shopping around, I started my first day of work at the very same company I left. But this time, it was at a startup they acquired. I know, but let me explain. First of all, I was offered higher pay at other companies, and I couldn't even negotiate a higher pay or better position at my previous company because I was returning too soon. Their, their corporate policies require you to come in as you left if you return within a year. So I've just given you a bunch of reasons why I shouldn't have done what I did. So why? Firstly, it was familiar. I knew the work-life balance was really good. I also liked the office. If we were ever to go back, I could bike to work. Cafeteria food was subsidized and I had a bunch of options. Finally, there was a brand new Wegmans at the bottom floor so I could get my groceries before heading home. 
This time would also be different from the last. This time I'd be working at a startup they just acquired. So it'd be a mixed match of cultures between the two as they transitioned into a single entity. I was excited to see a mid-sized startup that already achieved traction become a giant behemoth in its space. I thought I would secure my place in leadership as being the first 20 engineers. Basically, I'd get many of the benefits of a startup, but with all the assurances of a big company. My schedule changed quite a bit once I got a regular job. Weekdays were for corporate life and weekends had the startup grind. Startup life had our eyes on an MVP. It was always our idea that if we ever got traction and funding, that that would become my full time. To launch on Jan 1st, I suggested that we'd be done by November. We pushed that timeline past Jan to Valentine's Day. Around that time, we had a simple MVP on web and iOS, and for some time we de-linked Android until we felt it was up to par. Throughout this time, we were also sending applications to various startup incubators. Our inspiration was actually DoorDash's pitch. Hey, I'm Stanley. I'm a Stanford CS major. I did fund and engineering at Facebook. Hey, I'm Andy. I'm also a Stanford CS major, and I did platform engineering at Facebook. I'm Evan. I was on the founding team of Vivo, the music video service. And I'm Tony. I was a product editor at Square. And the four of us came together about six months ago to work on software for small business owners. But we didn't have a need at first, so we just went out and talked to all the small business owners we could find. After over 100 interviews, we came across a really interesting problem with small business restaurants in an area like this, Palo Alto. Yeah, so it turns out um, restaurants in Palo Alto don't deliver, even though they really want to, but they can't afford it. Um, but their consumers are craving for it, and, but the places that the consumers love just can't deliver. And we also found out about these delivery drivers who had a ton of spare time, and they all want to earn extra cash during that downtime. Right, and so that's when uh, we built an initial product, PaloAltoDelivery.com. And how it worked is uh, the customer goes to the website and places an online order that gets automatically uh, sent to the restaurant. And then we, as the dispatchers, with some pretty neat uh, routing and batching algorithms, we're able to send the drivers efficiently to get the orders to the customers at a really uh, fast time. Yeah, and the four of us actually started off as delivery drivers. And over time, we hired more as we grew. And in our first month of launch, with not much marketing, we got over 150 paying customers in the Palo Alto area, which was really awesome. And from that, we generated over $10,000 in sales. As a part of the YC application process, there is also a form you must complete. In that, we listed that we had 12 users, which were Andrew's friends who showed interest. Thousands of people apply each year to get into the program. Besides the guaranteed $2 million valuation and 100K investment, you also get incredible guidance, workshops, and motivated startup founder colleagues. The alumni of the program are also some heavy hitters like Airbnb, DoorDash, Coinbase, Instacart, etc. The total valuation of Y Combinator alumni is over 400 plus billion. In our chaos to get an MVP ready, to our surprise, we were invited into the second stage of interviews. This absolutely had us buzzing. We went into overdrive preparing for the interviews. Firstly, we made the 12 number accurate by soliciting friends and family to subscribe to our app. We didn't know exactly who we'd be talking to, but we had a general idea of the type of questions they would ask. The most important advice that we tried to stick to was to make sure that each of us was prepared to speak during the interview. As for extra prep, Andrew went through his contacts and found two different friends who had picked their brains because they had done this before. My biggest takeaway from the meetings was that you really need to know your numbers. There are tons of questions you need to have answers for, and here are some. If you have users, what level of engagement are they? What's your total revenue, fixed and marginal cost? Acquisition funnel conversion rate, customer acquisition cost, and growth rates. Who needs what you're making, and how do you know they need it? What are your users doing right now, and what new things are you adding? Who are your competitors, and how much money are they making? 
What competition do you fear most and why? How are you uniquely qualified to work on this? How did your team get together? Leron Shapira has a good write-up on some questions that I found to be very accurate after the fact. I'll link it in the show notes. Even if you aren't applying for YC, it's very important that you have answers to these questions. Knowing these answers means you'll better understand your company and investors like that about founders. As an aside, the hardest question for me to answer is, why are you uniquely qualified to work on this? I never found my answer to that besides that I've worked at Fortune 100 companies building scalable software and I'm incredibly interested in travel. I've spent some time before attempting a travel startup, but I didn't gain any industry secrets. Working for a good company won't make you the best person to solve a problem. You need to find or develop some trait about yourself that indicates startup success. I found a history of success, years in a specific industry, or social media influence to be the top traits that indicate why a person is the one for the job. That's not realistic for everyone because you have to start from somewhere. So you should try to work in some flair about what makes you special. Only Andrew, Ram, and I were in the interview. We had less than 10 minutes to answer rapid fire questions. To our surprise, one of the main interviewers was actually Michael Siebel, a co-founder of Justin TV, which is the company that turned into Twitch. Nothing he asked was surprising. For him, the focal point was about our business model. We described Gypsy as a subscription travel service that lets you book a trip with friends in less than five minutes. You click a button and we handle the rest. The description gives you a feeling about what we're trying to do in a concise sentence, but not much about how we're trying to accomplish that. So how does Gypsy work? Well, users pay a monthly fee and can book a trip when four payments are made. For example, the day you sign up is your first payment. If that's Jan 1st, then the earliest you can go on a trip is April 1st. If all of your friends have a subscription, it's easy. All you have to do is create a trip, add them, and we handle collecting payments for everyone. Included in the subscription prices are hotels and flights. Behind the scenes, we'd have a partnership with hotels and flights in order to guarantee minimum three-star accommodations. Another value add is itinerary. Since we're sending people to a small subset of locations, we really know those spots. We can ensure based on their preferences that they would have a good time. Michael's response was that he believed that hotel plus flights sounded like a typical travel bundle. Travel bundles are becoming less popular Therefore, Gypsy might not be that popular. Do-it-yourself vacations are the preferred way to travel for most people these days. Response was that this business model was being validated right now. There's a company that is called BRB in the UK that only serves travelers flying from the UK into Europe. You don't get to choose where you're going. All they know is where you don't want to go and they surprise you with the destination. The second is a company called Inspirado. It targets the wealthy and only gives you the option to book at places and does nothing for covering flights and hotels. With that discussion, we touched on some minor points and the conversation ended. We waited a week for a response back from them. You couldn't stop feeling excited and constantly second guessing everything we said. Unfortunately though, we didn't get into YC with the caveat that we should reapply next round because we were so close. They felt that our convenience pitch was at odds with our desire to give customers more choice. We were trying to make too many different customers happy and therefore wouldn't be able to offer a clear service. At the time, I thought they didn't understand the business model because we actually didn't offer that much flexibility. We only had six locations. They didn't get to choose the airline or hotel they were staying at. Only later did I actually fully recognize the issues with our business model. Immediately after hearing the news, we said the typical things like, this doesn't change anything. We'll get into it next round. We knew that could only be true if we had user growth and some semblance of market fit. To accomplish that, Andrew reached out to his network again and found a guy named Atlas. He was a person who had experience building communities in the co-living space. He came onto the team excited and confident that he would find us investors and customers. All we had to do was deliver a good product. 
any chance he got, he would promote Gypsy. And if the app reached a certain quality, he personally guaranteed us some investment. His first exercise was to investigate how the market responds to our product through usability testing. To perform this, he reached out to his network for interested representatives of the market. He'd schedule a Zoom meeting and start with some basic questions about their travel frequency and preferences. Then he'd download the app on their preferred platform and take notes on how they navigate the site. If anything confused them, he'd let them sit in it and not take away from their natural exploration. To end the interview, he asked a killer question. Would you be willing to pay for a subscription to the service? If they would not sign up for the service, he would dive into the reason why. This usability test was a relatively small sample size. It was important though because we kept making decisions from our perspective and guessing how the customers responded to it. These interviews finally gave us some data to make decisions about. What we got from those were Android had too many bugs and was inconsistent with iOS. iOS had language and screens that weren't clear to users. Atlas, Andrew, and Abi were in constant design meetings to make things clearer. For me, I worked on completely reworking the desktop and mobile marketing pages. Web would be the starting place for how new users approach Gypsy, so it needed to be very clean and professional to sell people on our subscription. We would have clearer language and better calls to action. Since we were a small team, we also needed to make it seem like we were bigger than we were. We also had a side effect for prepping for YC that we had to work through. To boost our numbers, we onboarded a bunch of family and friends. However, the team was all engineers and we didn't have the expertise or confidence to manage their trips. To help develop that side of the business, Andrew found a travel agent named Britt. She already had her own self-employed travel company with plenty of customers. We wanted her to refine our list of destinations, activities, and language on our site to better target our users. We also wanted her to help us be better travel agents. We were already part of a travel agent network that gave us access to special deals and commissions. This network had a fragmented and complicated website that required some insider knowledge in order to figure out the best ways to navigate it. Bird was our new subject matter expert for all things travel. We had a pretty solid team that had different areas of expertise that could attack the problem of gaining traction. As they began to incorporate the feedback from the new perspectives, Atlas brought three new people to continue the usability testing effort. There were temporary additions. There were product designers in training from a bootcamp called General Assembly. Part of the bootcamp tries to get people to embed within company and use them as examples for how to improve the user experience. Atlas knew this and managed to get a team to use Gypsy as their company to do analysis on. From Atlas's usability testing, it showed that we were too focused on how things looked, but not enough about how users understood and navigated the site. We were hopeful that with three people performing similar tests, we can uncover even more insights about how to improve our process. The research took about a month of constant contact with them while giving them full access to all the parts of our product. However, their user interviews would only focus on the web marketing site and iOS onboarding. The first thing they tried to do was identify our super user and our anti-user. The super user is a person we should definitely be targeting our designs toward, and the anti-user is the one we should not be designing for at all. From their perspective, our super user was someone who routinely went on workcations. They would be a remote worker and not have the time to plan a trip, and would use our app to travel somewhere, work during the day, and explore the place in the afternoon. Our anti-user is the person who loves to plan their trip and gets enjoyment from thinking over all the little details. Their notes on our implementation showed more areas of confusion and the need for more transparency about how we source our activities and trip recommendation. Users were worried that the recommendations might be sponsored and therefore not actually good, and we were only showing them because we were getting kickback. From the general travel preference questions, most of the interviewees preferred DIY and tended to do couple travel rather than big group trips. Group trips 
maxed out out about once a year. The GA team did their work and went on their way. We polished all platforms to address their concerns. Even still, we continued to struggle to gain traction. Our current users were just Andrew's family and friends. I didn't feel comfortable recommending it to my social circle because I didn't think they were actually in the target market. I had conversations with one of my personal advisors and he pointed out all the reasons why he wouldn't use the app. I took some time and thought about what would need to change in order for me to actually use the product. The insights of this self-reflection turned into a presentation that I performed for Andrew and Atlas. To demonstrate my point, I started with the most important factors when traveling, convenience and price. I'm also gonna lump flexibility into convenience because if you can't travel how you want, then that's not really convenient. The competitors in this analysis are DIY, travel agent, BRB, and Gypsy. For DIY, you have low convenience because you have to plan everything out yourself. However, you have high flexibility because you get to pick exactly what you need and you can usually cancel whenever. DIY also has a low cost, standard prices are good, and if you find deals, it's even better. BRB has high convenience. They pick a place for you, book everything, and provide an itinerary and you just go. They have the lowest flexibility by far. You get sent to a random location and they have long lock-in dates. However, BRB has the lowest cost by far. They do this because they usually send people to the places that they can get the best possible deals for and they can also get group discounts and rebates. Their itineraries are simple to make because they make the same one for everyone they send to a specific location. As for travel agents, they have medium convenience. Yes, they book everything for you. However, it's not as simple as just pressing a few buttons on an app. However, they have high flexibility and can rearrange things for you. The cost is medium because although they can find really good deals for you, they charge a fee, which is usually not that cheap. With Gypsy, we have high convenience because within a couple button clicks, you get to go to your destination. However, we have low flexibility. You do get to choose your destination, but we have long lockout dates where you typically have to book your trip months in advance. We also are medium cost. We can't beat standard pricing because we can't just send them to the, where the best deals are at, but where they actually want to go. In the United States is much bigger geographically than the UK BRB's target market, and we run into the situation of charging the same subscription rate for people on the East and West Coast. Sending people from New York City to Hawaii is more expensive than LA to Hawaii. Since we allow group trips, this whole concept gets even more complicated, where either our users are getting very bad deals, or we end up like MoviePass and lose a lot of money on every transaction. If we only look at group travel, Gypsy is better comparably to the rest on convenience, since removing complications and coordinating multiple people is a significant value add. However, from the GA research and everyone I talk to, Group travel is very infrequent, and building an app entirely focused on that and also charging a subscription doesn't make much sense. A travel agent is also really good for group travel, but even Britt revealed that she mostly plans for couples. I felt Gypsy had two possible paths to pivot. Firstly, we can make Gypsy Digital Travel Agent. We charge a small subscription fee, and we can book you as many times from a list of locations. We can use economies of scale with travel agents and basically do what robo-advisors did to financial advisors but to the travel industry. The other option is to become BRB 2.0 where we send users to random locations. This allows us to get the best possible deal at the lowest price. We no longer need to figure out how to fly someone from Hawaii to Maine. From our app, you need to be departing from the same location as your co-traveler if you want them to be a part of your trip. My pitch is either to make the most convenient and flexible travel solution or come up with a strategy to win on price, because the current model, we don't win in any category. 
They took it over well, but weren't exactly keen to pivot the business model because they believed in what they were doing. Before I gave that presentation, I also told them I was going to make another announcement. I then revealed that I was abdicating the CTO position. The future of the platforms would require a bunch of rework. The web app was positioned as the backup for Android and iOS. I still own the development of the web marketing site because of its sheer importance to drive traffic to the other platforms. This announcement was about defining my role at the company. It was also a minor response to Andrew's frustration and evenly splitting shares of the company with me. From his perspective, he was managing marketing, sales, coordination, and development, and the equity allocation was just not fair in his eyes. To make my limited role acceptable, I suggested an equity reduction for my end. I didn't have to do that, but I felt there was no point in being selfish. I really wanted the company to be successful, and that required more equity to be spread around. The agreement had me return about half my shares. I'd still be a part of the company, and continue my work polishing the marketing site. Many months later. Atlas left Gypsy due to continued traction roadblocks and his desire to focus on other things. He'd also had a personal falling out with Andrew. Abi became busy and we got a new UX designer named Zach Eichler. His focus was on the app experience and he wanted to tackle the limited flexibility of Gypsy. To reduce the initial variables, he proposed targeting the LA market and only serving flights from LAX. He also wanted the ability to top up credits to speed up the trip start date. This idea also helps when you've paid a few months on the subscription, but want to plan a trip with friends who haven't fully made all the payment. To help with sales, they also tackled a GA finding where users didn't fully understand the product. Now people could actually use the site and set up their trip without a subscription, and would only pay when the trip was finally booked. Zach was doing good work even with my general skepticism of the business models. Unrelatedly, my contributions to Gypsy slowly reduced once I addressed all the marketing site feedback. I'd spent my free time relaxing. I took a much anticipated road trip from Seattle to San Diego and moved in with my significant other. I continued to get updates about Gypsy and even visited Andrew in LA. His funds to fuel Gypsy ran low and he needed other employment. From what I've heard, he started a junk removal business fueled by social media ads. He's pretty adamant that he will self-fund Gypsy if he has to. Many months before, he also got us into a startup crowdfunding platform called PickMe Crowdfunding. Basically, people can invest in as low as $100 and buy shares into your company. If you reach a funding target, then you get all the money invested in this way. As of this writing, we have one day left and 16 k has been invested into Gypsy. Andrew's friend also expressed interest in Gypsy and wants to lead our sales effort. Of the 16 k in PickMe, he donated 10 k and plans to donate another 40k outside the crowdfunding platform. His idea is to market Gypsy directly to businesses as an employee benefit. For me, working at Gypsy has been a great experience and I've learned quite a bit from the whole process. The story of Gypsy has plenty more chapters and I really hope to keep you updated as time goes on. So that's it for the Gypsy story for now. Thank you for listening and I appreciate every single one of you. See you on the next journey. Peace.